Welcome to Deeper, a podcast of Wollongong Baptist Church. The podcast aims to follow the sermon series and to take our congregation deeper into God's Word. Thanks for joining us. I'm Sarah Leffley and I'm here with Pastor Rod Bailey. Ready, I think, to start, Job? Ready as I can be. Good. Somebody asked me yesterday, are you nervous to do a podcast about Job? And I said, no, I just have to ask the questions. Yes, I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> we'll be nervous. <laughs> I thought it might, might be the case. Um, before we start, we're recording on a Monday, and that's a bit odd for us. What's happening tomorrow? We are going up to the annual uh, conference at EV Church at Erina on the Central Coast, um, these days, it's called the Reach Australia National Conference, um, previously called Pastors Conference or something. That's changed a few times, but yeah, it's a it's a gathering of evangelical leaders in full time ministry. Largely, um, there'll be a thousand this year. It's sold out for the first time ever. It's a large venue, but that'll be packed. Um, we've been going up there since 2017, so it should be an encouraging. Uh, week. Uh, somebody said to me yesterday, oh, that sounds like a junket. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> it's not quite a junket. There'll be a lot of <laughs> processing. And um, one of the mornings, uh, I think Mark and I are going to be interviewed. So that'll be stressful, probably more than um, enjoyable at that moment. But uh, yeah, it'll be a great time. We always get challenged to think about uh, church life and uh, particularly um, seeing the gospel go out from churches and being focused on seeing more people brought into God's kingdom. And so uh, it's it's good to hear what others are doing around the country, get a bit of a snapshot um, of what's taking place and to feel that urgency again of the eternal realities of heaven and hell before everyone. So looking forward to the week. Uh, I think I'm going into it a little tired, but, you know, it'll be great. What a wonderful way to spend a few days. It sounds like there'll be a few perks amongst the chaos. There, I'm sure there will be. Uh, Meeting friends from far away and this is being true. fed by somebody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, let's um, have a look at Job. I know this is in the series handbook, um, but in case people haven't read it or maybe they're like me and still struggling to process it, could you give us a quick contextual overview of the book of Job? Yeah, there is a great introduction in our handbook, which Ken put together. And um, yeah, there's a number of things that are helpful in there. I mean, we don't know where Uz is. Uh, we don't have a genealogy of Job. Uh, you know, the, the book is mysterious in that sense. Uh, we, there's a whole lot of things we don't know. We don't know exactly who wrote it, nor exactly when it was written. Uh, we gather it was written to a Jewish audience, given it's in the Old Testament. We know it's part of the writings. Um, so the threefold um, law, the prophets, the writings in the Old Testament, it fits into the writings category. It's clearly not following the, the storyline of the nation of Israel. And, and so more specifically, it fits into the wisdom literature, uh, which is all like that, uh, has a more universal character, focuses on how we might live in line with reality in this world, observing how God has ordered everything. Um it's just that Job's situation uh, challenges the assumed wisdom. Um, so uh, we do know that he's a wise person uh, because he fears God and shuns evil. And that's the constant uh, definition of the wise person in the wisdom literature, in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job itself. 
um, and that's how Job is described. And yet beyond all of this uh, back and forth insight into his mind as he interacts with his three friends, um, uh, well, and then a fourth that comes in late in the piece, um, we really don't know a lot about the man or the context. And so it sort of sits there as this um, standalone piece, as it were, uh, giving us an insight into some big themes. Um, but there's a lot of questions just about who Job is in the context, which we don't have answers to. And yet we seem to think Job is real because he's referenced again later, is that? Well, that's right. So he's referenced in Ezekiel 14 um, and he's referenced in James 5. And so um, he seems to be a real historical character in the same way that um, some people might question Jonah. Uh, the story is too fantastical, you know, how can it be? But then Jesus references him and points to what we can learn from him. So. Um, yeah, I think that's a key thing for why uh, many evangelical commentators would say he's a real person. There, there, of course, are people that see the whole book as a whole, as a parable, uh, that perhaps Job is just um, a created story and character. Um, but yeah, I think I, I lean with most to say, well, I think he's a real character. Um, I think the truths and principles that come out of the book would be the same either way. Um, but I think um, holding it with the rest of Scripture and, and perhaps feeling the weight of the situation personally. Like if I think if I know that a story is just a parable, then um, I'm less emotionally invested in the, I would definitely agree the with concerns. That. Yeah. And so I, I think it's better for us to take Job as a real person for that reason alone. Yeah, to empathize with his losses for sure. I think thinking of him as real is really powerful. Um, it's interesting because often we talk about context being kind of really, I guess, necessary to understand, to understand scripture well. In this case, it almost seems to be unimportant. The, the scripture itself is the, the significant part. Yeah, uh, I think that's the case of a few characters in scripture that we, we don't know a lot about them. Some of them are usually passing mentions and not like Job who has 42 chapters. But yeah, we, we do have a number of people like this in the Bible that we can learn from, even though we don't have much context. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering how do we go about reading a book um, that leaves us with so many questions? How do we know what we're supposed to take away and don't, um, and we avoid getting lost and drowning in all the little questions that might crop up along the way? Yeah, well, I think apart from the prologue or introduction, which is Job 1 and 2 that we looked at yesterday, and the epilogue at the end in chapter 42, the rest is written in this sort of poetic style, and it can take some discernment to work out key arguments, especially as the friends interact with Job and a lot of it seems circular. We can get a little lost and can be hard to see what the, the main thread is. And hopefully we can unpack that as we go through this series. Um, and um, yeah, there's plenty to, to think through. I, at least in the introduction here, I think the key is to focus on God and his purposes. And his purpose in this opening section is to test Job's faith. He's held up as unique. His character uh, test is whether he will worship God for who he is um, uh, rather than because of what he gets and the earthly blessings that he's receiving. So it's all about Job's response to this test. And I think that is the main through line in chapters 1 and 2. And so we need to hold to that. It's, it, there are lots of little details that we are, are interested in. There's so many unique things that get raised in these chapters. Uh, but I think we need to stay on target uh, with that main point um, that uh, 
God has raised Job to Satan, a test ensues, and it's all about how he's going to respond to what unfolds and will he continue to worship and praise the Lord. And um, and so that was what I sought to do yesterday as we move through the passage. Yeah. I, th- I thought you did it really clearly and well yesterday. I was... I was struck by how in home group I had all these swirling questions left unanswered, but then I walked out of um, the Sunday sermon and I thought, oh, maybe those questions don't matter at this point. Maybe I'll know those answers one day, but they're not important in understanding Job. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you for being so clear with that message. Um, you, You maybe have answered it in talking about what God's purpose is, but I'm wondering why would God point out Job to Satan? Uh, It seems to be almost out of the character of a loving father that we know that God is. Um, wouldn't he want to protect his child from the from the testing of Satan? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. Uh, a couple of people commented to me yesterday um, after the services that they had a new appreciation for the phrase, deliver us from the evil one in the Lord's Prayer. Yes. Um, because um, it struck them how, yeah, we often just rattle those words off but perhaps there's far more weight and importance to that phrase. We realize we're in a spiritual battle, but we tend to gloss over um, just what that might involve or how we to think about things. And we're very confronted by that in the person of Job and this test that is set before him. Um, so clearly God knows that by raising Job, he will be tested. God knows all things. He knows what's going to unfold. It's not like God is surprised that Satan makes his accusation and suddenly finds himself agreeing you know, reluctantly or something yeah. to some test for Job. So clearly Job was going to be tested. God has pointed him out for a reason. Um, and so God is ultimately bringing the testing. And I mentioned at the end of the sermon yesterday that uh, 1 Peter 4, Romans 8, Philippians 1 and 3, they all give us this pattern of testing now, glory to follow. Uh, like Christ, this is the order. And so also Scripture assures us that, you know, trials lead to perseverance and maturity, um, James chapter 1. And so we're actually uh, to consider them pure joy, James says. We find it hard to <laughs> to utter those words, I think, rather than uh, even to believe them. But uh, if those things are true that are repeated so many times in Scripture, then I think the idea that... Um, you know, God would never put us in this position or, um, you know, we'll never be tested or that somehow this is unfair. Um, I, I think we're more to see that like suffering, testing and trials and hard things are part of the Christian life and actually form our character, uh, deepen our trust in the Lord Jesus. And we feel uncomfortable about this test for Job and we would feel even more uncomfortable if it were being placed on us. But I don't think um, we're, we've fully understood the nature, perhaps, of this life and, and what God does. We tend to downplay such other passages that I've just mentioned and think that that's not how things work. I think at the same time, uh, I don't think we're meant to um, fear God and think that he's just out to sort of tear people down or that he finds joy in testing them and seeing whether they'll flounder in these yeah. terrible situations or something like this. I mean, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 13, we looked at this in fourth term last year. Uh, That verse says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Um, Different word uh, than perhaps suffering. Perhaps we put them in different categories. But remember here, the test is actually whether um, Job will be tempted to curse God 
because things haven't gone well or whether he'll continue to praise him. It's actually a test of character. Um, and yes, suffering has made that test all the harder. Um, but I think there's a, there's a lot that can be um, yeah, gleaned from 1 Corinthians 10 to help us see that um, God will not place us in positions um, that we cannot cope with. The trials that we face, he knows we're going to face, and we can trust him in the midst of those. It's just, I think it's partly, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, we live in a culture that's so comfort-driven and we want things to go well always that any kind of suggestion that um, part and parcel of my life is just going to be difficult things that are thrown up. Uh, we recoil from and I don't think we should I don't think that's that's the witness of scripture and I think that's why Job is so confronting for us though and we really need to grasp maybe I've taken too small a view of what God does in the world of the expectations for my own life and that doesn't mean I expect terrible things to happen every day but I, I have to be prepared that this life is full of problems in this mad world and that's part of how god's going to grow me as a believer and he'll do it in a way that's going to bring glory to him i wonder if maybe we have too shallow a view of what is good you know we think of that um is it right yeah romans 8 28 mm. know, he works all things for the good mm. of those who love him and and maybe what we think is good is just a very earthly very shallow perspective of what is good mm-hmm. um so even even trial and suffering when orchestrated by god mm-hmm Maybe those are good. I don't know. Yes. Um, I'm going to jump ahead because I think you've you've led us right to it. Given all the warnings in the Bible um, and the premise of living in a broken world because of original sin, would it be better or maybe make more sense to ask why we experience joy and blessing rather than why we suffer? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think we want to define joy, firstly, as something deeper than happiness, mm. um, that something that can be felt by believers because of our faith in God and our deep understanding of um, our future hope in Him um, that is maintained despite the circumstances. So I think happiness in the way our you know society talks about it is... I'm happy because good things happen to me. I'm feeling good today because everything's working right. Yeah. Um, I think joy is deeper than that. And I, but yes, I think the, the premise of the question remains that, um, yeah, we live in a broken world and there is a lot that is wrong in our marred world. And um, there are some people that experience much of that. Um, and I mentioned yesterday, you know, depending on where you live in the world, um, there are people, uh, you think of our Burmese brothers and yes. sisters. Um, you know, some of them have got horrendous stories. They've just, they haven't even been to their home country. They've grown up in a refugee camp in a neighboring country. And then eventually, 15, 20 years later, they get to come to Australia. And um, some of their relatives go to America instead because they're offered that option first. And they're struggling because they're not offered Medicare or healthcare yeah. over there. Um, you know, and it goes on and on, and you think uh, they, these people are often getting to the age of 40 or 50 before they can even establish themselves in a way that we might expect, you know, an 18-year-old to walk into sort of adult life in our yes. country. Um, so, yes, I think we have, we all have our own 
position from which we view the world um, and we can't remove ourselves from that. That's our context. That's what we've grown up in. But we do have to broaden our vision of this is not what everyone experiences for starters. Um, but yeah, more deeply, I think yeah, the Bible would say, you know, every blessing comes from our Father above. Um, you know, James would say um, that there are so many passages that remind us that every good gift is from God and that um, we don't just get good things because we're somehow deserving or that's how life works. You're just blessed with great stuff all the time. Uh, it's not. Um, yes, there are many good things. We don't want to be um, have this morbid outlook where um, you know, this life is full of trouble. But um, when we see blessing, that, that is the hand of God. And, and we take those things for granted every day. The fact that we've you know, got up today and we're, we're feeling well for most of us. We've, we've had something to eat. We can get on with our day. Like all these things, we just think, oh, well, I'm just getting out the door doing the normal activities or whatever. But they're all incredible blessings that I can even do those things and um, enjoy them, um, that I'm surrounded by family or friends or whatever it might be. Um, uh, we're just, yeah, in this sea of blessing that God is endowing us with. And we take that for granted, but the moment that there's something negative that happens, then we're like put into shock that somehow life's unraveling because this thing hasn't worked in this moment. Um, and that's not to downplay the hard things that come, but that can be from the smallest thing to the most yeah, tragic definitely. event, you know? Um, so yes, I think maybe it should make us be more thankful for what we have. I think I've been reflecting on that a bit um, as I've just started reading Job again. And, yeah, blessings are a wonderful gift from God. And we should see that, um, yeah, everything we have, good or bad, uh, comes from his hand. And we need to trust that um, God has great purposes in what he's doing, but that this life, too, is not all there is. And so we get so caught up with the little details of how things are going, and we lose, I think, a focus on the eternal reality. So... Um, blessing or trouble uh, should point me towards um, trusting in God and longing for what is to come, um, not just fixating in what is happening now. That's a really helpful reminder. I think it answers a bit of um, why I feel so much emotional discomfort in the book of Job. I think the reality is is that um, maybe I live a very blessed and lavished life like Job in the early parts of chapter 1 does, and so imagining his losses really strikes me mm-hmm. because I'm not prepared for that. Mm. Um, I yeah. do take the real comfort of blessing for granted mm. yeah, and I, I'm not expecting or prepared for the suffering that might come. Yeah. Um, if we haven't faced trial and suffering, is that because God has put a hedge around us the way Satan describes God has done for Job? Um, yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Um I think the the whole hedge thing, um, perhaps, or it could just be uh, that we're young, as <laughs> I mentioned yesterday, and we just haven't experienced the ups and downs of life as fully as we will later, or we lived in a privileged part of the world, as I mentioned yesterday as well, which we've just explored. Um, I think the Bible knows nothing of some people, um, you know, never facing suffering. You know, they're, uh, we, we talk about people having blessed life, but I think what we mean in that is that they experience less suffering than perhaps others. Um, we all live in the same fallen world. We all have decaying bodies that will face sickness and ultimately die. 
Um, I think our struggle is with what, as we observe our world, is that some people face far more suffering than others, and making sense of that um, is the hard thing, perhaps. And so uh, I think people are sort of hoping in our secular world, they would say, oh, well, I've been lucky. You know, it's um, it's just worked out well for me. Yeah. And, you know, good luck to me. And, oh, I'm sorry it hasn't worked out for you. Your life's been bad and you've had all these problems. Um, and so it becomes this very sort of fatalistic kind of outlook that, um, well, you know, if I end up with um, things generally working out for me and I get a long life and I'm wealthy or whatever, then, well, good on me and... I don't know quite how that's happened, but I just, I'll, I'll take it. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's, Christians can be drawn into this kind of secular mindset because we're surrounded by a culture that speaks and sort of thinks this way and our advertising and all our media sort of talks in terms of, you know, you can have everything and you've just got to plan enough or study enough and get the right job. And um, yeah, I, I think we are duped a lot in our culture and this is why, as we've said a couple of times already, suffering comes as a huge hit yes. because we're just expecting stuff to unfold. And I think it's the uh, this sort of um, it's the myth of progress <laughs> that uh, I think our Western secular culture has been tied to for a few centuries now. You know, we're, we're ever improving, and we'll get to the point where medical science and everything else will just, um, you know, we won't face many troubles. We'll have overcome everything. We've got it all sorted, um, which is a lie ultimately. Like we just, we live in a fallen world and uh, the character of humans is still sinful. There's problems every day. People still die every day. Mm. But um, yeah, superficially in some parts of the world, we are blessed with many material things and we begin to think that, yeah, we're, we're somehow unique or that our generation is the one that won't face what our grandparents faced or whatever it might be. Um, there's some really good podcasts that look at, I was listening to one the other day in that area um, on uh, life and faith, the CPX one. And yeah, they're, they're interviewing somebody that's thought a lot about that kind of mindset that has sort of overtaken us. And I think we've got to be really careful. That that's not really a Christian worldview. Uh, that's a secular humanist view yeah. that uh, we're improving and we're on top of everything. Yeah. Um, you keep mentioning this broken and this marred world that we're living in um, as being the reason that suffering exists. But in this story, the reason that Job's suffering seems to exist is because God is testing Job. Is, uh, is it prescriptive? Is our suffering ever because god has had a conversation with satan or is it always because it's a broken world yeah and that has been raised i know in a couple of the home groups this week i've uh somebody raised it in our home group uh on wednesday night that um maybe this is how it's working all the time and we're all in conversations between god and the devil and you know and these things are happening to us i think that is uh over extrapolating what we're getting no i don't think this is a precursor uh, prescriptive text. I, I think this is a unique descriptive text that can't be quite viewed in that way. I think um, uh, when uh, Ken and I were going through um, SMBC, um, our Old Testament lecture was in favor of a, a commentary, uh, which we still think is really good, by Norman Habel on um, Job. And he says... Um, in his little intro to the bit about this first heavenly council in Job chapter 1, um, 
that on one particular day when the heavenly council met, the, the language seems to be about this being a one-off and it's contrasted actually with all the days and always these kind of phrases being used of Job in his practice of godliness and even his regular atoning for his possible sin of his children uh, with his sacrifices. And so it's that contrast seems to be indicating that this is not a regular thing, that this doesn't happen every day. Um, and we don't even know whether Satan is a regular member of the council or he's sort of unexpectedly comes as it were like it's left unambiguous uh ambiguous rather in the in the text we're not quite sure so i i think we we've got to be careful with Job because there is a lot of stuff that just doesn't happen elsewhere and i think we have to see this as a unique scenario um remember that god too says to satan there is no one on earth like job my servant job um I, I don't know that God will say that of all of us. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think he's going to choose to test me <laughs> to prove something to well, that's Satan. That's right, sure. and I'm very helpful. Uh, I, I said to my home group on Wednesday, I'm quite happy to be in an ordinary category so that I may not get this attention. <laughs> be overlooked. <yeah. laughs> that's right. But yeah, so I think we've got to be careful. I, I think it does open up a dimension that there's obviously a spiritual battle in all of our life uh, and here's suddenly an insight that we want to grasp hold of and there's some principles to gather I think that one's just one we've got to be careful of. Yeah. I love when um, language and tense illuminates a bit more about, about a passage. Mm-hmm. Ben's trying to convince me that we need to learn some Hebrew or some Greek or something so we can start to get those insights. Uh-huh. I'm not that persuaded, but I do like it when someone else does the work for me. Um, it's a real privilege, I think, to be on this side of the cross. I mean, we know that Jesus wept. We know that he understands suffering better than we probably ever can. But how did Job persevere? Without that knowledge, um, did Old Testament believers have insight into God's compassion to, to help them through suffering? Yeah, I think I think what we can say at a basic level is that he has a strong knowledge of God's character. Um, how? Um, fully, we don't know. Um, perhaps also he had an awareness of the promises, the covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, we don't have enough context to understand his the formation of his faith, if you like. Uh, I guess I'm more and more, as I reflect on it, seeing him as a sort of man of mystery, a bit like Melchizedek. You know, yeah. Melchizedek suddenly appears in Genesis 16. He's king of Salem. He's priest of God Most High. He has this special relationship, and he blesses Abraham. We're like, where did this guy did come, come from? from? <laughs> How does he know more than Abraham? And Abraham sort of, you know, bowing down to him, as it were. Um, now, obviously, we get 42 chapters of Job and, you know, Melchizedek's just this passing moment almost. But there's a similar sense of we just don't know a lot about uh, the background to this person. So I think we have to acknowledge that, um, yes, we're greatly blessed sitting 2,000 years this side of the cross. But it doesn't mean that people prior to Jesus couldn't have a strong relationship or an understanding of God's character, perhaps in ways that we don't appreciate um, how that quite happened, uh, whether it was their personal interaction with God in ways that we've not experienced. Uh, maybe it's just a deep uh, trust in the promises and what they had heard already. Um, but yeah, there's clearly a strong sense of God's character. And um, and God does describe his character in the Old Testament numerous times. Like, um, you know, he he has this repeated phrase of being compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We get this in Exodus. We get it 
multiple times in the Psalms. Um, that alone tells you a great deal about who God is. And perhaps you know they had meditated on those kind of truths in a way that perhaps we fail to or we feel like we need all the extra revelation that we enjoy uh, to have the picture that we have. But yeah, I think we just need to trust that um, yeah, this Job had a deep faith in the Lord. Maybe all the Jewish practices and traditions and things also help to ruminate, mm. meditate on those characteristics of God in a way that we may, might not do as deliberately except when we're reading the word or praying. Yes, that's right. I mean, he has a clear understanding of atonement, uh, mm. like the way he's offering sacrifices for his children. Like we just, again, it's out of the blue. We're not given context yeah. to how all that's happening, but he understands some deep truths. Yeah. Um, there are some loose parallels that came up in my home group um, with Job and Jesus. Jesus, you know, obviously being sinless perfection, where Job's upright, mm. um, and God allowed Satan to test them both. They both suffered greatly and, you know, there's maybe a few spoilers here, but they're both blessed significantly mm-hmm. after their suffering. Is is there significance to these parallels or are we reading reading into it trying to find parallels that shouldn't be there? Yeah, no, I don't think we're reading too much into it. I, I think there's great significance in these things. Um, um, Jesus says in John 5.39, you know, you study the scriptures diligently, speaking to the religious leaders, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And those and other passages like at the end of Luke's gospel show that, you know, give a basis to our understanding of biblical theology, as we call it today, that these uh, themes and figures in the Old Testament point forward to Christ and we're meant to see these connections and to tease them out. And uh, not only so that we'd understand that um, Old Testament character, in this case, Job, perhaps more fully or in the light of Jesus, but to deepen our understanding of the cross and Christ's work as we see him fulfilling something and exceeding uh, this shadow of it that we observe in the Old Testament. Um, So I think it's really important, and I I will continue to do this through the series, and hopefully by the time we get to the end of these seven weeks, we'll have um, built up a picture of um, how Job points to Jesus in various ways. Um, Certainly, I've focused on a, a key passage that we all know in Isaiah 53, uh, yesterday, talking about how Jesus is a man who suffered and is a man of sorrows, a uh, famous passage. But yes, he will um, have future blessing as well, as you just mentioned. And at the very end of that same chapter in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 12 says of Jesus, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Like even long before Jesus came, centuries earlier, there's a picture of suffering, but there will be blessing and um, great uh, things that follow. And, of course, we know that um, this side of the cross, that, yes, he laid down his life and bore our sin. There was much sorrow in his um, suffering and all that unfolded. But, um, yeah, the incredible victory of the resurrection, the incredible blessings that then flowed out as he poured out his spirit and the church began and started and all those things that we enjoy and reflect on today um yeah there's amazing ways i think that our understanding of job is greatly heightened as we see that well yeah he, he suffered incredibly but uh, jesus suffering is even greater again um yes he'll be blessed at the end of his life as we'll see at the end of the book but oh the blessings of jesus is 
king over all things, you know, welcomed into the presence of the Ancient of Days and sits at the right hand and pours out the Spirit and intercedes for the saints. And like, you know, Job in no way compares to Christ like this, but yeah, just seeing something of Job and then seeing how great um, just helps us, I think, to worship uh, our God all the more and to be so amazed at how um, Jesus you know, exceeds all of these paradigms we see of these great Old Testament figures. It's so significant what you said about Jesus' suffering being greater because I'm so struck by Job's suffering in a way that I often become complacent about Jesus' mm. suffering. Mm-hmm. I hope reading Job more will amplify that mm. for me. Yes. Um, Kate Cole put it wonderfully yesterday. She said talking about suffering was really depressing until you mentioned Jesus and then we ended with hope in the sermon. Mm-hmm. So I think let's end with hope again. You've, you've, you've brought us right to it, which is nice, but... Um, you talked about how we're to suffer now and be raised in glory later in the pattern of Christ. Mm. What is that going to look like? Yeah, I mean, this is where, um, you know, sermons and studies on heaven and, and our future hope and our resurrection bodies and all these things. Um, these are great chapters in the Bible. We think of 1 Corinthians 15 in terms of the resurrection, um, passages in Revelation, especially 21 and 22 at the end of that book. Um there's something, though, that's um, tantalizing about all of this because we don't have the full picture. This is why uh, I think we're always wanting to know the reality of what it will be like in heaven, and yet we can't get it um, fully now. And many commentators have said, well, we can't because um, you know it's too grand for us to take in. Um, and even if the Apostle John could have described it, would it mean any more? Would we yes. understand it further? Perhaps not. Um, we struggle to understand the bits we have been given. Um, but I think there's um, there's enough there, there's enough concrete, uh, wonderful truths that we can grasp and think through and keep reflecting on. Um, and perhaps we don't do that enough. Uh, we're very, again, as we've been saying today, earthbound in our thinking, I think, so often. And so we're so fixated on the things we're doing day to day. We don't give ourselves time. I've, I've used the illustration a few times here at WBC about the Puritans uh, from the 16th and 17th century, that they would spend uh, an hour of every day reflecting on heaven Mm. and where they were going. This is where we're heading, so we should focus on what our goal is. I mean, how often do believers do that today? And it's to our loss that we don't do it. I haven't got time to do that. Oh, that's, you know, that's a pointless, uh, you know, abstract sort of thing to do. I, I've got jobs to get on with. There's tasks I've got to do. I've got, you know, whatever. Um, but the truth is then we're so focused on, you know, the things around us. We spend so little time thinking ahead. Um, so I think, I guess my number one encouragement would just be to read those kind of passages again and again. I was just reading, um, just thinking about this Revelation 22 this morning. The start of that chapter says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. I mean, you know, don't that alone, that. <laughs> you, you could spend a couple of hours thinking about that. I, I don't think we can unpack that as well as we'd like, but um, even just that last part, that there will no longer be any curse. Um, uh, the, the curse that 
um, ultimately goes back to Genesis 3 and the entry of sin. Um, here is Satan saying that Job will curse God because things are not going well for him. Um, blessing and curse is a big theme in the book of Job, and that'll get unpacked in future weeks far more than we did yesterday, um, I think. But yeah, the idea of curse and, and sin being gone, of being present with God, of seeing, seeing Christ God's face to face, yeah. face like... <laughs> Yeah, there, there's enough to dwell on for the next hour or two. Yeah, that's a perfect hopeful way to end, isn't it? <laughs> I'm certainly not depressed. I think Kate will be satisfied with that one. <laughs> Thank good. you so much. Um, we will be praying for you and Ken and Mark and Kyra. Uh, anyone else going away to Erina? Well, Ken's actually going to be staying oh, here, Ken's but staying. David Craft is going to be. And David Craft. Yes. Pray for David Craft too. So, um, yeah. Ken and Kate are holding the fort oh, while wow. the rest of us... All right, we'll have to know. pray for all of you for different reasons yeah, then. that's right. It's a big work either way. Thank you so much. That was um, illuminating in so many ways, and I'm really looking forward to next week. No worries. This has been a Wollongong Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services at our website, wollongongbaptist.org. 